I think we can think positive not necessarily by creating utopian ideas, but rather to really reflect on, okay, what is the current state of life? Of mine, of ours, of theirs, and um, how can we improve that a little bit? Well, when we look at nature, it becomes very clear that the colonialities, starting with the colonial time, are still shaping our way of dealing with, with nature today. Um, so nature is not seen as something that has to be protected, but, but just seen as a resource. Imagine life beyond crisis, a world beyond catastrophe, wars and climate crisis. How would you like to live? And now think ahead to, let's say, 2050. Looking back on your present self, how would you have wanted to have lived? This may sound like utopian escapism, but to paraphrase the words of Walter Benjamin, is it not for the sake of those without hope that hope is given? In this episode, we have two guests, curator and project developer Isabel Rabe of Talking Objects Lab and curator and dance dramaturg Thomas Schaub, who is one half of the curatorial team behind Goethemorph Iceland, How We Always Wanted to Have Lived. The project invites the public to envision alternative ways of living together through exhibitions, workshops, performances and conversations. So with Isabel and Thomas's involvement at the heart of the program, we thought it would be a good idea to talk to them about things like food, decolonization and creating a common positive future. You're listening to Talking Culture, a futures podcast. Talking Culture is a platform for thought-provoking discussions about the future of Europe, the UK and the world. I am Franca Forth. Through fascinating interviews with thinkers and doers in the arts and culture sector, this show investigates how creative fields are emerging from the tumultuous present into the future. What role will culture play in a post-Brexit, post-COVID-19, post-colonial world? And how can it contribute to a future that prioritizes sustainability, collaboration, diversity and inclusion? From the Goethe Institute London, this is a podcast about the critical role and value that arts and culture have in our societies. So Isabel and Thomas, tell us both, how would you like to live? I would like to live in harmony and in equality with the surrounding and everyone who's surrounding me. That's maybe my, my answer. Yeah, I had to think a little bit about this um, question that we have or, that, or the thematic friend that encompasses our project that doesn't necessarily ask, like, how do I want to live, but how will we want to have lived in a way? So more this perspective from the future onto the now. And from that, reflect on not so much on yeah, how do I want to live, but how do I live? And so in that sense, it's not a direct answer, maybe, but more like a request for reflecting on that current state of life in a way. Envisioning a world beyond catastrophe, beyond today's status quo and eruptive turmoil is difficult. But some ideas have existed throughout history. Others are still evolving. Thomas, um, which alternative forms of living together fascinate you? It's hard for me to say or to pick one that I find particularly interesting, both in history or now, or one of the utopian ones. I think it's more about to uh, reflect on the way how we live and how can we kind of live more in, as you, Isabel also said, in harmony with the surrounding, which means with 
each other as a society, but also with um, nature. I mean, that we are actually part of, that we sometimes tend to forget. And I mean, there have been both in indigenous cultures um, have been very interesting examples. And in utopian ideas, there have been interesting examples. And some artists or also climate activists think interesting proposals. When thinking about how we always wanted to have lived, one immediately thinks of the ongoing climate change, climate justice, and exploitation of natural resources. Isabel, one of your projects, Decolonizing Nature, picks up this discussion. So tell us, um, to what extent is nature colonized? Well, when we look at nature, it becomes very clear that the colonialities, starting with the colonial time, are still shaping our way of dealing with, with nature today. Um, so nature is not seen as something that has to be protected, but, but just seen as a resource. And particularly when we look at the global south, then it becomes very, very obvious what happens there, because it's the global north um, who's in favor of the exploitation of the global south and not the other way around. So there's a, a huge inequality and injustice going on here. And also when you look at land and landscapes, I mean, land was stolen as objects were stolen, as people were stolen. What we are trying to do is a anti-colonial approach to nature, meaning that we look at seed archives, what is stored in seed archives and what are their colonial entanglements. We're looking at the colonized plate, food justice, food chains. We're looking at indigenous knowledge about plants, about nutrition and why and how they have been erased. We look at um, actually also landscape apartheid, who has access to green spaces, who hasn't. We are questioning, Thomas mentioned it before, if this dichotomy between nature and human beings or nature and culture still does make sense, or don't we have to break with it and see us as part of the environment, which is actually a word that is already wrong because we are part of it. Maybe it's environment or whatever we, we should call it. And also about um, when we look at museums, and that's something we do deal with in our, in our project, Talking Objects, about rewriting natural history. And there we can talk about things like um, names of plants, for example. That leads us to the next question. How could we decolonize nature? I'm always quoting Felvin Sarr in this moment. The Western archive is exhausted. So it's, we are at the moment where we have to realize that the European or Eurocentric uh, knowledge systems are at, uh, are at its limit right now. So what we are trying to do is decolonizing knowledge, like what kind of knowledge systems and indigenous knowledge is there beyond this European uh, knowledge systems and I think there's a huge chance and huge resources of approaching nature differently and changing our view on the world, actually. So with Decolonizing Nature, your think tank and project Talking Objects Lab is working in Kenya and in Iceland. Both these countries may seem quite different, but what connects them? And what are the specifics of each country and land when it comes to nature and decolonization? Decolonizing nature is not a single project, but it's part of the Talking Objects Lab, which is a think tank exhibition, workshops, artist residency series in uh, on the African, country, African continent, in Senegal, Kenya, and Germany, and in other countries, as Iceland, for example. 
where in which we are exploring African practices and knowledge systems and trying to link them back and um, trying forms of mediation and visualization. And this is important for us because it's really a long-term project, the Talking Objects Lab, for several years. And we are focusing on different things, decolonizing nature, decolonizing memory, re-evaluation, our view on objects. So we are also talking about objects in the museums in Europe, which belongs to the African continent, about artistic perspectives on these decolonizing topics and artistic decolonial strategies and questioning practices for of museums work of like possessing preserving presenting so these are the topics we are pursuing and the unexpected lessons is one part of this whole series this is quite important when we received the invitation to be part of the Goethe Morph program in Iceland it was indeed at the very moment uh, unexpected like okay we are working with the African continent But actually what we are doing, this decolonizing work, is a global issue, of course. Um, and then when you think about Iceland, immediately the nature comes into one's mind, this this really impressing nature and also the role of, of nature in and for the society and the colonial past also. And that Iceland had been colonized by the Danish. There is also this question of uninhabited spaces. Are there uninhabited spaces? No, there aren't. But here again, we are questioning the culture-nature dichotomy. So it became very clear that there are so many topics that are of interest on both continents. And at the moment, when we are talking, I'm in Nairobi preparing the preparatory think tank for our program in Iceland, which is a think tank uh, where we invited 15 experts from various fields, uh, researchers, academics, uh, chef de cuisine, activists, artists, talking about all those questions on the colonized plate and the indigenous knowledge. And we are going to film all this and bring part of this conversation that took place here in Nairobi to Iceland together with some of the experts. So there will be really a, a very good link from one continent to the other. And yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. So Isabel, your program also focuses on cooking, food and seeds. How are food and colonization connected? Well, first of all, then we have to talk about food injustice, of course. I mean, um, who is starving, who is not starving, what plants are feeding the world and what aren't. These, there are deeply colonial entanglements here when, when, when you look at the crops, what crops are planted, what aren't. So it is, it is deeply interwoven, I think. And what we are trying to do is looking back at traditional knowledge as indigenous knowledge on plants and on plantation practices and trying to serve a decolonized play. That's what we do in in Reykjavik, we invited uh, Chef Kabui. He's an anthropologist, sociologist, cook, activist, food activist, um, running sustainable farm projects in Kenya and also working in the US. And he will cook with us and serve us food, talk, give us a lecture about what he cooked and why he cooked it and how he cooked it. And, and this is also a very important aspect, food as a cultural archive. So what we eat is also a form of cultural memories and cultural archive, and it's deeply connected. Yeah, I mean, when you think about um, your, your childhood, it's deeply connected with favorite foods your grandma, for example, cooked. You talked about food as a cultural archive. 
How could we benefit from that archive to create a positive common future? By enhancing our way or our approach to nature and by enhancing our our knowledge and also not only focusing like as the western societies do focusing on these academic knowledge academic uh, knowledge systems but taking other knowledge systems into account also spirituality traditional and, and sensoric knowledge oral history etc which can enhance enhance everything so we're going we're always going with the portuguese sociologist Boaventura de Souza Santos, he coined the term of inter-knowledge. So this idea of discovering new knowledge and you don't necessarily have to erase everything you already knew, but like bring it together, make it whole. And there we are at the, at the next really crucial topic we are working on or we are working with in the Talking Objects project. It's, it's healing, healing and caring and making things whole again. Now on a more personal level, what do you both wish we could eat more in the future? For me, it's strange to think about something that I would like to eat more, but rather probably, like really literally, should we eat less? Um, I mean, that, but, but maybe this is very much like a capitalism critique. I don't know. <laughs> What do you think, Isabel? Do you have a specific? Yeah, I would also give a, an answer like not eat more, but differently, like more seasonally, regional food these things and this comes with we do not have certain kinds of foods in winter we do not have avocado avocados in in europe moving on one of the projects at gutemorf iceland asks what the nationality of birds is thomas can you explain what that means and why this is important to discuss right now yeah i think the, um, the title of the workshop is very nice because it of course there's a provocation in it uh, knowing that uh, birds actually migrate from one place in this world to another without any border limitations kind of emphasizes this uh, how crazy it is to that we kind of still live in this culture of borders of limitations uh, that require people sometimes under really life-threatening conditions to to cross a country things that bring us apart uh, i mean one one interesting um, bird in iceland the odin's bird is, is an example that they are going to use in the workshop together with uh, that they will commence together with children in iceland um, and and that's a bird that actually is quite prominently called an Icelandic bird, even though it just spends like two months there, while most of the time of the year it spends on the Arab island. And so this kind of um, whole somehow joke behind this is also to, to think more about the crisis that we had some years ago when a lot of Syrian migrants had to flee to Europe and also to Iceland and something that still is controversially discussed. And I think this workshop brings it in a Nicely provocative way onto the plate, how, how we should maybe rethink also this approach. And I mean, this project now, this is, the, is an interesting example also that we work here also together with Kenyan artists. We also have a Mali artist, uh, someone from Greenland for this project that is actually happening in Iceland is also kind of just underlining how important transcultural thinking is beyond borders. And also maybe from there thinking, do we really need them still? And what do we protect? What do we try to save? And what could we, could we also gain otherwise? What does this project mean for the Icelandic scene at the moment? I think this is an interesting project for the Icelandic scene because it emphasizes uh, something that has been 
always very important for the Icelandic art scene, cultural scene, and that is to have exchange with other like-minded singers, artists, or also other other like singers uh, from abroad. I mean, Iceland is a small island on the Atlantic, and uh, it has a small population. And to insist and also give more space for exchanges, like this platform that we propose now, also nourishes the local scene in a way. And um, I think that's that's something that I'm also proud of. We are also trying to um, to extend the ex this exchange by, for example. Um, having a cooperation with the Institute for Sustainable Studies in Reykjavik. And we together invited Chef Kabui to stay longer, to give lectures at the Institute there as well. And to really, we could facilitate a longer residency for three weeks by having this cooperation. And maybe it's sustainable and it will go on on a long-term basis. Yeah, and this is, I think, also actually really good to mention because Those things, this kind of like that uh, exchanges are getting started and are taken further also or something else is made out of it. And it's really like a nice web created. And that's why we also refer to this title Morph. Something is morphing and constantly transmorphing and growing on its own in a way. And that in that small country in the North Atlantic, Iceland. So where could we go from here? How can we live the way we always wanted to have lived? And how can we create a positive common future? There I go back to my first response in a way and thinking more that as a, why it was so important for us to pose this question or this thematic frame. It's not really a question, it's more a statement of how we always wanted to have lived. I think we can think positive not necessarily by creating utopian ideas dystopian ideas anyway are not positive but rather to really reflect on okay what is the current state of life of mine of ours of theirs and um, how can can we make that how can we improve that a little bit so i think this kind of perspective is very important for me in short maybe to be more reflective maybe helps to be more positive yes i, I like the idea what what thomas just said starting with utopias or with the imaginaries is very important because Nikita Davan said the imaginative is a strong practice of mindset change. To have the imaginary space, as, as gives it gives space to rethink the future. And I think it's a good starting point to really change the realities, to give the imaginative a space. I mean, that's what, for example, Afrofuturism does, imagining a future without white supremacy, without injustice and 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 pain and i think this is a very very important approach to to changing one's realities thank you both so much for coming and for this great conversation um i'm really looking forward to hear more about it at gotemorph iceland thanks for listening to talking culture a futures podcast a production of the goethe institute london You've been listening to Isabel Rabe and Thomas Schaub, who discussed themes from the upcoming project Goethe Morph Iceland, How We Always Wanted to Have Lived. Starting in September 2022, events will take place at the Nordic House Reykjavik, as well as online. You can follow and join the discussion from wherever you are. You can also find the full program on goethe.de slash morphiceland. For more information, you can also follow Goethe Morph Iceland on Instagram. 
The Goethe Institute is the cultural institute of Germany. We foster international cultural exchange and enable cultural involvement in over 100 countries worldwide. In London, we offer German language courses, cultural programs, events, literature, and much more, both in our institute on Exhibition Road and online. Find out more on our website at goethe.de slash London. For this episode, we worked with Better Lemon Creative Audio and executive producer Hannah Hethman, hosting, research, and narration by myself. Till next time, I'm Franca Forth.